Hey there, it's Andrea. Today, we learn that Earth food is bland AF. The Klingon High Council is as corrupt as any governing body today. And we ask the question, how badass is K-Last? Come nerd out with us. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. I'm your co-host, Andrea. Today, we're talking Season 3, Episode 17, Sins of the Father. This episode was written by Burton Armas, whose namesake we may remember from that horrible shit episode when Tasha dies. The Skin of Evil. Yeah, mm-hmm. thank you. Um, and directed by Rob Bowman. It is Stardate 43685.2. As part of the Federation Klingon Officer Exchange Program, Klingon Commander Kern has requested to be placed aboard the Enterprise's first officer. His typical Klingon command style aggravates the crew, particularly Lieutenant Worf. Worf confronts Kern alone, where Kern reveals that he is Worf's younger brother. Ah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yes. So Andrea's thoughts. Yeah. So Andre, I I know Andre that you are not a fan of Klingon episodes in general. Mm -hmm. Um, but I have to say, I love all the Worf backstory episodes so much. And this one, especially because, um, similar to something I said way back in season one, there are not that many story arcs in TNG. Mm-hmm. They, it's it's pretty episodic. Each episode pretty much stands alone. Whatever aliens you meet in this episode, you will never see again. Yep. <laughs> there will be no closure nope. beyond the, the ending credits. But what I love about this particular episode is that it sets up the next kind of set of episodes with Worf with this whole Kittimer situation. Yes. Yeah. And those two episodes are two of my favorite Worf backstory episodes like of all time. Like I love those two episodes that go deeper into what's going on at Kittimer. So this one sets that up. And so that makes this like my second favorite uh, Worf episode. So I'm super excited to dig into this today. You know, I love that you said that. And I agree with you. I normally do not love the Klingon episodes because I think Klingons as a race are kind of stupid. (laughs) They're just very violent and live for honor. And like, that's cool. You know, that's like, you've got your like honor code, but yeah. I think all the races are portrayed very, like very like, single mindedly. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Where it's like the Vulcans are like, we only do logic. Like, right. Okay. Or like the Ferengi guess, or something where you're like, okay, yeah, they're not, they're not given a lot of depth, but something like they this are, gives they me- are not. And that's why I've never loved the Klingon episodes. I just, I don't love like all the, like, let's just be warriors and roam the galaxy and be warriors and die warriors. That's like, I get it, buddy. But I will say any episode that shows like deeper backstory and growth in a character, especially some of the like senior characters I'm there for. Mm -hmm. So don't love the Klingons as a general principle, but I did love this episode because Mm -hmm. it's not a Klingon episode. It's a Worf family episode. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. And And I wish we had more of these. Like, I was thinking about this and, you know, my constant irritation that Troy has written as like a piece of toast and I just, well, (laughs) a sexy piece of toast. But I just think like, you know, we don't have a lot of backstory episodes about lots of our main crew. We just mm-hmm. don't. And like, Worf's is so good. And I'm like, well, I want to hear about Troy's backstory. What's her home planet like? You know, what was it like? Wouldn't that up? be so nice? It would be lovely. It would be lovely. And then we could have Lawaxana in maybe a different light. We would see her as like a mom back in the day. Or I don't know, something that would make us not despise her so much. Maybe, I don't know. Or like make things make more sense. Like just stuff like that. And I think about like, you know, we even went to Data's past to see what happened mm-hmm. with the crystalline entity. And he didn't mm-hmm. even have a past. And we got his backstory. They just found him on a plinth. Of yeah, when he was born. It. Yeah, on his <laughs> plinth. So I was just thinking like, and Jordy too, like we never get a good backstory on Jordy. No, we get never. nothing. We, we meet Jordy's parents, question mark, in like season seven. Um, we know and don't love Loxana Troy. Um, and we do, I we think get it's family stuff. Yeah, we some do get some family stuff about the, the same sister. As yeah, no, it's not quite a backstory. So this actually is really great episode. Also, I got to say, because I've always avoided watching the Klingon episodes and there's just such a bounty of like other wonderful episodes to watch. I've never missed them. This episode was completely new to me. <laughs> completely new. I got, awesome. I got to have one of those beautiful rarities where you have a favorite show and a new episode. 
And it's not like a reboot that's like disappointing because all the characters have aged like 45 years or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. it was in the time. Like this was so amazing. I was like, Andrea, where the hell have you been, girl? Like it was, it was, I loved it. This is that bonus $5 bill in your pants when you pull them out the dryer. Yes. So I'm going to be curious to hear how you reacted throughout this episode. Okay. I I wonder if in the beginning you were like, oh gosh, not another officer exchange program because we know that first time (laughs) it didn't work out so well. <laughs> right yeah. there, the enterprise. It, it took a turn. It was, it was a nice callback to season two, episode eight, a matter of honor, which is when Riker was in the officer exchange program and went on board the Bach. That was kind of cool. They're like, "Remember that thing? We're bringing it back out again. Now we're getting yep. the Klingon." I was like, "Oh, okay." <laughs> um, all right, let's open this up. So we have this officer exchange program. Number one is going to be stepping down. Number one now becomes number two, and Commander Kern is going to come aboard. And serve as the first officer for X, Y, Z amount of time. They don't specify. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he comes aboard and immediately asks to report for duty. And, and relieves Riker, which I thought was such a boss move. It's like, here's your first officer. He's like, great. You're relieved. Okay, let's get to work. Seriously. What a power move. Riker knew he was dismissed for this time. He agreed to the officer exchange program. Like, <laughs> and he was the one, Yeah, he was the one cheering it on. But yeah, it was he was like, like great, uh, a Klingon. And he's like, let me stuff you into your little box and goodbye. <laughs> yep. like, wow. Okay. Um, so this guy comes aboard just swinging it everywhere. Like mm-hmm. everybody had to know who he was. So we cut to the bridge and he does that power move that I think on any other ship would look cool. But aboard the Enterprise, you're like, what are you doing? He steps all the way up to the view screen and like lays down the law. He's like, you will address me as sir or this, that, and the other. I mm-hmm. expect the absolute best of you. And the Enterprise crew is like crickets, crickets, because they already do give their best. Like they, they don't know do, but to, I also yeah. think they were actually not just like, I don't know. I, I don't think their, their reaction was just like, whatever, we already do this. I think their reaction was like, oh crap, this guy is going to be tough. And, you know, to which point Wesley whis- whispers over to Data, probably being like, uh-oh, I don't know what to expect from this. Bad, and then bad move, Wesley. Yeah, bad move. Bad move. Because <laughs> Kern doesn't put up with that crap. And he's like, you guys will <laughs> ship up or <laughs> shape, shape up or out. ship out. Yeah. <laughs> I got that from shape the rest of development. <laughs> what, no, what did he say? He said ship up or shape up or something like that. What did he yeah. say? Shape up or ship out. I imagine. Okay. <laughs> well, well, I, I felt like watching Wesley get chastised for talking is very Harry Potter when Severus Snape like yells at Harry Potter for like asking his neighbor for like some parchment and quill. <laughs> it's like, this isn't the time, dude. Not yeah. now. Like you yeah. get the mean teacher in. Like this is bad. Yeah. And and something <laughs> I was really excited about with Kern is that Kern is played by a black actor. And while Klingons are not black people. Um, they do have brown skin, sim- similar to the Frangi. Frangi are just brown aliens. They just happen to be mm. brown. Um, but mm. I just appreciate when they have brown actors or brown extras come mm. in to be the brown aliens. Like it just, it just makes sense to me. It's less makeup work. And also yeah. for me, I feel like there's not enough diversity in Hollywood. So when I, or at least on this show, for sure, I don't see enough diversity yeah. in their, in their crew and their extras and the people they bring on as, and cameo guest stars. And so when I saw that Kern was played by a black actor, I was so excited because I was like, yes, like let's, let's put infuse in some diversity. I was really excited mm-hmm. and not just any extra, by the way, this actor's named Tony Todd, and he was super duper famous in the nineties. One of his main roles was around the time that he did this episode, which was as a character called Candyman. And it, he did a series of horror films called Candyman and Candyman's kind of like, um, like a fairy tale, um, but like the evil kind where like you go, in, you go into your bedroom or you go into the bathroom and you say Candyman three times and then he shows up and like kills everybody. It's one of those type of things. And so he did a whole series of these terrifying movies. Meanwhile, the milkman, meanwhile, the milkman's like, God damn it. <laughs> now, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing to do with this time. So I, so I was just so excited to see this actor particularly playing Kern. And I just think he did a fabulous job. He was the most Klingon of Klingons, like at not, at no point was I just like, wow, this actor's just not hitting the marks. I was like, yeah, "Yeah," like I I bought it. I bought all of it. You know, that was actually going to be one of my sort of final thoughts among many, but 
He is such a convincing Klingon. He exudes that like Klingon warrior spirit mm-hmm. with his facial expressions and everything without looking like the fucking Dura sisters that are just like, <laughs> you know, like hissing for every other word. And you're like, okay, girls, put the boobs away and take it down like four notches. But like their boobs he, do look really good though. I'm just saying. Eh, if I you're going to show them. For me, it was nice. like, it felt like the nineties version of boob, which was just like beach balls stuffed into a way too small, like. <laughs> top but whatever i'm not here to boob shame any woman i guess but yeah like he was subtly so klingon in his spirit and i loved it i loved it um but yeah so wesley gets kind of snapped at and i guess rightfully so like yo you're on the bridge of the enterprise like get to your duties um okay i noticed that he's wearing a weapon as well like as he's walking around the bridge Mm -hmm. he's got a holster with a weapon in it and i was like that's weird like i would think they'd have him like put it away or leave it aboard his other ship. Um, and then Riker takes his seat in Troy's seat. And I'm like, where's Troy? What happened to Troy? We don't know. <laughs> Yet again, I, we, we don't know what's going on with her. I'm my, I'm, I'm a little bit outraged. You're still not, you're like, I don't, who cares? <laughs> we still, she still has no, she still doesn't have enough function on the ship for us to be like, oh my gosh. And first of all, like we, we've mentioned before how Troy has, there's this unique ability, um, this unique opportunity mm-hmm. in the character of Troy to really highlight the importance of mental health. And if anybody needs it, the crew of the flagship definitely need it. Cause they go through some crazy stuff, but at this early stage of the show, we don't yet see people going to Troy often yeah. with their issues. Uh, we're going to see it coming up in just a couple episodes here, but we don't see people going to Troy with their issues, which really should be happening. And she should be in her kind of her counseling yeah. office, just like Beverly Crusher should kind of be in the sick bay most of the time. Whenever we see her on the bridge, we're like, girl, what are you doing? Like, aren't there people you need to be, you know, it's always some like crisis. And then Beverly's there and you're like, no, it's a crisis. You need to be at your station. So yeah, like at this point, she still doesn't, we still haven't figured out what she's doing on the ship, but mm-hmm. maybe we can imagine that she's doing her job. And that's why she's not sitting on the bridge because she's meeting with messed up Starfleet people who need her help. Yeah. Maybe. Well, as we know, she does become much more functional and her role becomes better defined and more fleshed out as time goes on. I guess we're just not fully there yet. Um, Okay. We cut to 10 forward and Wesley is sitting there kind of griping to Riker because Kern is like on his ass about everything. And I feel like that's such a normal sort of feeling to be like, wow, this new supervisor came in and I feel like they just don't like me. Like no matter what I do, like they just don't like me. And it's like, okay, maybe it's a Wesley thing, but then Jordy comes in and says like the same thing. <laughs> right. And it's like, Kern is on our ass for everything. We're going to have to enjoy like, very huffy about it. <laughs> he's very, he wrote in on his huffy to come and complain to Riker. Um, and they're like, well, there's only one person sort of aboard the enterprise who doesn't seem too bothered by it. And it's Worf, of course, because he's like, Klingon leadership. <laughs> well, yeah. The, and the issue that they have is that he's on everybody. Really. He's riding everybody really hard, except for Worf. And Worf is the uh... only one on the ship who would not mind it. And that's what Jordy, that's what Wesley starts to say, but then stops and like bites his tongue. And then Jordy finishes the thought. Like there's only one guy on the ship who would love this kind of treatment. And he's the only one getting treated really, really nicely. And then hmm. you cut to the bridge and you see Kern just being so like placating and talking to Worf like he's a baby. Yeah. Um, and exactly what they're saying. Like he's being really hard on everybody. He's riding them really hard. And then a Worf, he's going, wow, what a good job, Worf. Did you click a sensor? Wow, that's amazing. And Worf is just like about to punch him in the mouth. Like, why are you talking to me like that? And, but he doesn't because- I, that's so funny because I didn't see him as placating. I thought he was patronizing. I felt like he was patronizing. Worf, yeah, like, that's, that's uh, the word I mean, you patronizing. Yeah, uh, okay. Yeah, patronizing. that's the word I mean. Like, let me give you your bottle. Yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, he was totally patronizing Worf. He really was. So then as he's kind of just patronizing Worf and making him just seem like a child, you start to wonder, like, what is going on here? First of all, I guess it's okay that Kern is kind of harsh because he's a Klingon. He says he's going to bring discipline and this is unusual for the crew. So that's kind of fine. But then you're like, why is he, why is he being weird around Worf specifically? And Worf Mm -hmm. always gets crap from Klingons. Like he always does. Always. Yeah. But this is like extra. Kern is doing a lot. And you're just like, what the heck is going on? So next thing you see when you're going, when we're kind of going, 
Now, what's the deal with Kern and Worf? And why do Klingons always give Worf a, Worf a hard time? Anyways, you see Kern in the turbo lift with Riker. Mm-hmm. And Riker's thinking he's going to come in and save the day because yep. the crew has been complaining to him, which, by the way, is a little bit uncool, mm-hmm. but understandable. Like they need somebody to vent to. And again, this is where Counselor Troy would come in super handy. This is where she should have been. Yeah. <laughs> but in any case, so he's thinking he's going to give a helpful suggestion to Kern by saying, hey, basically the crew is feeling like you're, you're riding them a little bit hard. Can you ease up? is what he's trying to kind of get at. But he comes at it from a different perspective and is just like, would you mind taking a suggestion? You know, I've been on a Klingon ship. I had things that I had to learn. You're now on a Federation ship. Maybe there are things you could learn. Is it okay to give a suggestion? And Kern looks at him at him, and he's just like, no. No, it's not okay. And walks away. Mm-hmm. And Riker's mm-hmm. just like, how dare you walk away from me? And starts yeah. yelling. And I was like, have you lost your mind, Riker? Like, yeah. he went from this diplomatic person to just like, yeah, you've lost the sense of the appropriate over here, Riker. He imme- we get stern Riker and he's like, this isn't a Klingon ship. And Kern's like, no, <laughs> it is not. If it would have been, I would have killed you for the offer and like walks off. And in that point, I was like, yeah, Riker, you really should have taken a different tact. <laughs> this was your bad, Riker. This is not actually even Kern's bad. Like this was Riker like. Let me help you. No, thank mm-hmm. you. Fuck you. It's like, whoa. Yep. Yep. Totally. What are you doing, dude? Totally. And also, <laughs> like, if Kern's going to be the first officer, let Kern be the first officer. Let him do it his way, anyways. Yeah. You know, Riker is trying some to help. Ambo Jitsu or something. Like, go. Seriously. Cause I don't go. even think. Take some like, saxophone lessons. Something. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if Riker becomes the second officer or if he's just like off duty. Like, he, he said he was relieved. So I think he's just relieved of duty until Kern's done. So yeah, he could totally be in the holodeck right now. Yeah. Yeah. Go pull up the minuet file and try to tweak that correctly. Whatever. Right. Like I love though, as they're on their way, we realize that they're both on their way to the small reception that the captain has hosted in Kern's honor and the senior staff are there. And can we talk about this scene for a few minutes? Because this is one of the best like written comedy scenes aboard Star Trek that I've ever seen. Kern looks at this roast chicken and says, your dead bird appears to have been sitting in the sun for too long. (laughs) How long has this bird been dead? And and they're like, "Uh, no, no, we have replicators and we like replicated it this way. And he's like, oh, and they said like, and we'll remind you that we eat our, most of our meat cooked, which is don't do as Klingons. Yes. So he's just like, yes. "Mm." Yeah, mm-hmm. uh-uh. like uh-uh. how we would do if we saw a bunch of raw meat, right? We'd be like, "Yep, mm-mm. I'm not hungry." Okay, see, <laughs> I am a huge fan of sushi. I really love it, which but is I not the same as raw chicken. It is not the same, but it is raw fish. And I didn't get into trying sushi until I was in like my late teens or early twenties, and then I was like, oh, "This is magical. I love it. I love it so much. Right? It's one of my favorite things." But when I was a kid, I asked what sushi was and my parents were like raw fish. And I was like, mm, 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 mm. no, that sounds awful. And now I'm like sushi. Yay. <laughs> right. But, <laughs> like, and I will point out, but only sushi, right? So like raw chicken, raw pork, raw beef, any of that stuff. I, like- I have, I have had raw beef before as like steak tartare in really, really high end restaurants. And like, this is actually really good, but yeah, if you just handed me some raw chicken, it'd be like, nah, but here's the thing that cracks me up is Beverly offers uh, Kern some caviar and he's like, what is it? (laughs) And Data's like, it is the eggs of a blah, blah, blah. And of course, Picard's like, not now, not, this is not the time to be explaining what caviar is. (laughs) So Kern takes like a handful with his bare hands because, you know, Klingons don't use utensils. Right. And smells it. It's like, oh, and then just wipes the caviar on the chicken with his bare hands. And I thought, this is so great. And when he finally sits And Beverly's sitting there with a tray of crackers, like, um, well, I guess. Um, <laughs> I guess I'll you won't be needing these down then it's, <laughs> it's fine. It's no, we don't all use it's okay. Maybe, maybe they should have demonstrated the proper yeah. <laughs> way to get caviar. I don't know. <laughs> well, I think they should have demonstrated a bunch of things because yes. we see them sit down and start eating and they're out, you know, they're trying to be really polite and they're asking Kern some questions and he is not having that roast chicken. And did you notice 
he (laughs) he grabs a rose and just starts tearing the petals apart and popping it in his mouth because he thought that was part of the meal as well. (laughs) I did Did not notice notice that. that. I did not notice that. (laughs) Well, because they had this beautiful floral arrangement. And so if you're an alien, you're like, I don't know which one is the food and what's the decoration. So he just took a little bit of everything and he just starts ripping apart a red rose and eating the petals. And I was like, (laughs) I have to admire both Kern and Riker because they both jumped into this alien food like let's just do it let's just whatever's on the table I was gonna pop it in my mouth which yep is really impressive yes yes and did you notice Worf is just as displeased with the chicken he's eating it like ah, ah. <laughs> not liking it and we did see the return of what we suspect are like the futuristic Ikea forks that Guinan used to stab Q with it's the same forks I was like hey they're back yay for future forks yes okay I also need to talk about what are they eating I looked at the plate I did mm-hmm. some review what the fuck were they eating? Okay, rotisserie chicken, plain boiled potatoes, steamed broccoli, chunky coleslaw, and caviar. What is this? It was Picard's favorite foods. I think that's what was going on. The plain caviar, boiled potatoes? The oh, caviar he on. did say was a delicacy that he personally loved. It was one of mm. his favorite foods. So I don't know what the rest was. I don't know what its function was. Those Maybe they were trying to boil potatoes. America? It was, it was, uh, no. I, okay. So my dad, my dad, who's since passed was from um, uh, Europe and they would eat plain boiled potatoes all the time. So we would eat plain boiled potatoes as kids. Like as a, instead of like rice, you get potatoes and oftentimes they were just boiled and like cut and they were just so like, Bleh. <laughs> I gotta mm-hmm. tell you now I'm a, I'm a mashed potato like twice baked potato bait, you know, like with all the toppings, but just mm-hmm. plain boiled potatoes, some plain steamed broccoli and chunky coleslaw. I'm good. I'd rather eat the rose. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote fire that caterer, <laughs> which is also the replicator. Yes. yes. <laughs> which actually makes sense because a little bit later on, Kern does say the food is very bland. And now that you're telling us what exactly is on the plate, I thought he just bland meant AF. I thought he just meant bland, like making fun of like earth food, but no, what you just described. Yes. The rose would be much more delicious and flavorful. The rose with a little bit of caviar on top. You have some flavors going on there. There you go. But as they start to get into this like casual dinner conversation and Troy's like, so Kern, tell, tell me about how it's going. How are you fit again? And he's just like, well, you know, it's really tough. It's hard to know where the boundaries are. I mean, I almost killed Riker earlier. I had to stop myself and Troy just laughs laughs like, Oh, that was so funny. And then he's like, yeah, so, you know, but I didn't kill him. And it's like, oh, wait, that wasn't a joke. <laughs> Love that. It was great. <laughs> the nonverbal. Okay. That, that moment in that scene was a study in nonverbal communication. The way that Troy looks at, you know, Dr. Crusher and they look back at Riker and Riker's like, mm. you know, <laughs> it's like, no, this really happened. And Kern was so funny. He's like, don't worry. I've never killed anyone at a dinner table. Yum, yum, yum. I was like, yep. what? And Jordy's like, okay. (laughs) Good to to know, you know? And then, and that's when he like, is like, you know what? I can't even eat this food. This food is much too bland for a Klingon. And he says it right as Worf's about to put a bite of chicken into his mouth. Yeah. Worf's just like, "Mm." you know, like he's, he's really, he's good at pushing everyone's buttons in just the right way. Like Mm -hmm. a true little brother would, which is also kind of impressive because he's just met these people and he already knows how to push all their buttons. Yes. Yes. That is, that is actually really, really good thought. So the, this dinner wraps up and Kern is in his quarters. Everything is dark and surrounded by, you guessed it, more space paintings, more space paintings (laughs) as he's staring out the window to space. But wait, the painting though was a painting, I believe of Saturn which they probably didn't, couldn't see it from where they were. So guess. Yeah, I guess I'm just so fed up with the damn space paintings, but then suddenly we get (laughs) Worf comes in and he essentially does the equivalent of why don't you like me? Mm -hmm. He's like, you dishonor me at every turn. Have I done something to offend you? And finally, you know, as Kern is kind of pushing buttons and, and getting him to react, Worf basically flips out Mm -hmm. and Kern is like, ah, that's the response of a Klingon, the response I'd expect from my older brother. And Worf is like, what? You know, and then it cuts to commercial. 
And so he clearly had no idea at all. Mm-hmm. It's like, Kern, who even are you? Is your name really Kern? Like, what's happening? And we find out that Klingon child rearing isn't really that hands-on, apparently. <laughs> because Kern was less than a year old or just around a year old when Worf and his mother and father left for the Kittimer colony. And they were supposed to be gone for less than a year or right around a year. So they left Kern with Moog's friend. And when they never returned, it was assumed that they were all killed. So number one, why aren't you taking like a one-year-old with you? And you're like, oh, we'll be back in a year to get our kid. That Moog's got a good ass friend to be like, sure, I'll take your kid for a year. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And they said like, this was revealed later on in the episode. We don't know it at this point though, that Moog believed that there was somebody he knew who was yes. a traitor. And so he was going to Kittimer to try to find out who this person was and potentially yes. expose them, which in Klingon culture means kill him. That's what he would have done. It wouldn't sure. have been like a trial. He would just kill them. Right. So he went there to find that out. And he took, maybe the real question is why did his wife and Worf go? If that was the case, right. If it was than so why dangerous, don't back, take but, like your eight-year-old like that. If yeah. it's really that dangerous, don't be like, Hey son. <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> I think, up, buddy. and I think Worf himself was about four or five because he was five when he was adopted by his earth parents. Yeah. So, I mean, he was pretty little also. And maybe this is just a thing when you have two little kids that it's like a bit too much to leave both of them. So you pick one. I don't know. But he was young enough to not remember that he had a brother, which makes sense if he was four or five. If he was five when he was adopted. So if he's like, you know, four and a half and then goes through this crazy traumatic experience and he was discovered as one of the only survivors on the entire colony was this little, mm-hmm. you know, tiny four-year-old. So yes, I could see him like forgetting he had a brother or a past or anything in the light mm-hmm. of that trauma, but like, what a shock to find out you've got a brother and he came onto the ship just to see you. And now Worf is trying to piece all this together. And he's like, yeah, so you came here just to like spy on me or like what to is meet going me on? Or- yeah. yeah. What is going on? Yes. And Kern specifically requested the enterprise which is now obvious because he wanted to meet Worf and he tells Worf that the, that the challenge is his to make. And Worf is like, what challenge? And Kern tells us that the Klingon high council has accused their father of treason for aiding and abetting the Romulans on the attack on Kittimer. And I had a couple of thoughts here. One, why now after like 30 years, did they decide to make this challenge? Mm-hmm. where, and even when we find out, and I'm jumping ahead just a little bit, but I'll dial it back. Even when we find out like later in the episode that the Klingon high council members are like, Worf, let this go. We don't want to proceed with this. Then why even, why suddenly accuse his father now of being a traitor, mm-hmm. which I thought was really weird. But also I thought, man, Worf really bought this brother story. Like really quickly. very fast, mm-hmm. very fast. Yeah. But um, it's understandable in their culture. Because they probably wouldn't make up a story like that. That's what I took it to be. Yeah. It's just like, it's not, it, they don't have the kind of culture where people are deceitfully going around and trying to pretend to be people's siblings. Like, that's I guess just that's not, true. That's just, it's just not a thing. It's not, yeah. it's not in their nature. Nobody would be like, let's pretend like we're really siblings. You know what I mean? So I just feel like yes. saying that there was no reason for him to, to question it. Um, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right because this this culture is completely different. And by this, I mean the Klingon culture there. Yeah, you're right. They wouldn't be pretending mm-hmm. like there's nothing they game. were. Um, but I will say for me, I'm a, I'm a big student of history. Um, and I've been reading a ton about um, the fall of the Roman, uh, not the Roman, sorry, the fall of the like Russian czars family and like the bloodlines of the rulers. And um, the last czar at the end of World War One in 1917, he and his whole family were all assassinated and their bodies were like burned and their ashes sprinkled. So there was no trace of it. Jeez. And for, and for decades. Yeah. And the youngest was like, is this the Anastasia eight. story? Yes. For decades and decades and decades, people came out of the woodwork claiming to be Anastasia Romanoff. And so, and this, there was one case, I believe in the thirties that this woman became so prominent in her claim that um, Olga Romanoff, who was uh, the essentially like the aunt of who would be Anastasia had to like meet with her and like suss her out and kind of see like if Mm -hmm. she really was, but Anastasia I think was no Anastasia. They were all killed like in a, in a basement. Yeah. They were not even Anastasia escaped. That was just like a Tupac story. 
Yeah. And she was like, she was like 11 or something. I mean, it was just like so young and so awful. But so for me coming from reading about that, which is so fascinating. And then having Kern be like, I'm your younger brother. I'd be like, I'm going to need to see a DNA test. I'm going to need to like run some analysis on this. So that makes sense. The story of Anastasia might've colored your perception of this episode a bit, which totally, totally, totally makes sense for me. I (laughs) I bought it immediately. I was just like, yeah, why, why would he lie about something like that? And really then when he explained why he's there, where he says, you know what, our father's being accused of being a traitor and they do explain why now, um, which I guess we'll get to, but he says, our father's being accused of being a traitor. Since you're the older brother, it's your job to challenge it but I'm happy to tell people who is my real dad so I can challenge it. And Worf thinks about it and he's like, no, I will challenge it. I want you to not tell anybody who your real dad is just in case I lose. So that way you won't be murdered and, you know, dishonor won't come to you and your whole line. Yes. Well, I think too, it makes more sense that like, if you're going to claim to be the long lost relative of someone, you probably want it to be somebody successful or like, Famous. No, famous. Yeah. But like to be a Romanoff, not yes. like some random guy on the Mogus Enterprise. <laughs> yeah. Mogus infamous. Like as a Klingon, you would want to distance yourself as much as possible for him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that makes sense. So yeah, the Klingon High Council has accused Moog of being responsible for the Romulan attack by transmitting the like security access codes to the Romulans moments before the attack. And mm-hmm. I have this great scene where Worf goes to ask Picard to grant him leave to challenge these accusations. Mm-hmm. And Picard insists only to only on the grounds that he gets to go with Worf and assist him in any way that he can. And I was like, this is such good captain Picard mm-hmm. because other captains would have been like, I don't know. It's going to be kind of sketchy for you. Well, it's your life, you know, permission granted. Hopefully mm-hmm. you come back because if Worf fails, he has to bear the punishment for his father's, um, crimes. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And like Worf will be put to death. So it's kind of a big deal to like challenge this. It's um, crazy. And-, and I was so glad that we, our laws don't work like that. I mean, imagine oh, if we had to pay God. for our family's crimes, some of us would be oh, yeah. very screwed. Like, <laughs> I, I was very. just like, Oh man, but that does keep people. I mean, I want to say it keeps people in line, but that's not the point of it. That would be the point of it. If it was a law in America, the point of mm-hmm. it with the Klingons is all about honor. Someone's got to pay for this and bloodlines. Yeah. Yeah. If your dad did it, you have to pay for it. And it's just like, oof, that's so harsh. Yes. Yes. Um, so Kern asks Worf if he could be Worf's Chadich, which I assume is his second, should the needs, need for combat arise. And suddenly we're on this they said, you know, the nearest planet that's a part of the Klingon, Klingon empire. So they walk onto this planet and Worf is wearing what I can only describe as, as a sleeveless duster that goes all the way to the floor, like a vest that goes to the floor, mm-hmm. but he's got his Starfleet uniform on underneath. And I was like, you couldn't have changed into something a little bit different. Like, I feel like Starfleet has a tenuous piece with the Klingons walking into the high council with your Starfleet uniform on. I feel like maybe he should have changed it to something else. You know, I didn't just really think about well. it. I didn't really think about it. I feel like he they just went as quickly as they could and he threw on the duster and went down. But you're right. He should have changed. And also the Klingons outfits are 1000 times better than the Federation outfits. Oh my God. In like every conceivable way. And Worf looks so cool. Like he had that scene with um, Kalar where they were both wearing all of the Klingon like outfits and it was like, yeah. oh, they look so dope. So yeah, I agree that. I, I mean, I didn't think about it at the time, but I did notice Kern's outfit when he was um, patronizing Worf on the bridge. And I was like, oh, his outfit is so cool. I want his whole outfit. So that would have been a nice kind of moment to see Worf really embrace that Klingon part of him in this particular setting where yeah. he's defending himself as a Klingon. Yes. And he keeps saying multiple times in this episode, I am a Klingon. It's like, then maybe you should just dress like one mm-hmm. <laughs> instead of wearing your Starfleet crap. Not that it would have helped him at all. It, it just would have been have nice helped. for us to see. It would not have helped because as it turns out, he gives, he throws down the challenge in a very dramatic way. Like I am more of son of Moog. I'm here to challenge. Da, da, da. And you've got the Klingon high council, which is none too pleased to see him. And then you've got, I suppose the like second in command in the high council. I think he's just and he, a part of the council and he's yeah. the one who's bringing the accusations. Oh, that's so he's like the, what it is. like the accuser. He, okay. That would make more sense, but he rips off Worf's baldric 
and throws it to the ground. And I was like, ooh, <laughs> this is not boding and well. And smacks him. And he he's does like, smack him. You're a traitor. You're the son of a traitor. Da, 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 da. You don't even belong. You shouldn't even be here. You're not even clean. Yeah, you all should this not crap. have come. And Worf is just, just stands there and takes it, which I thought was so weird. I was like, why is he trying to shank this guy? Which I still don't totally get. Because, because there are rules about this type of ceremony, I think. Like, if you are seen as the son of a traitor, you get the smack and you accept the smack. So mm. he was there to challenge it. So he's like, I think what he probably was thinking is like, okay, I am going to prove them wrong. But for or now, die. like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to prove them wrong or die. But for now, it makes no sense to like get into a brawl with this dude, which like if tables were reversed, like I would slap him for being the son of a traitor. Mm-hmm. Um, so we come back to the Enterprise and Picard is asking Data to look into every little bit of information regarding the attack on Kittimer. Um, Even Riker is like, Beverly, mm-hmm. I need you to cross, you know, analyze every medical log for any of the like victims that were brought back up from Kittimer at the time of the attack, give me names. I need, and it's one of those hard searches where you're like, look for any irregularities, no matter how Mm -hmm. big or small. So it makes it hard to know what you're looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, But I appreciate that the whole crew jumped in to help Worf. I really, really like that. Would they have ever done anything else? No way. No, but it's just still great to see. It's great to see them being like, okay, what can you do? All right. What can you do? What can I do? Even the, and they're just really following in Picard's footsteps of saying, I'm not letting you go alone. You could potentially be put to death. I will be standing right next to you. What can I do? I just love the way that they kind of band together and no one is even, it's kind of like the episode we had where Riker was put on trial and everyone's just like, okay, well, let's just, let's just see what happens Mm -hmm. where they're not saying no, this can't be true. Worf's father would never, because they don't know Worf's father. They don't know yeah. if he's going to get off. But what they do say is we're going to do everything in our power to make sure you're not put to death. Mm-hmm. We don't even care if your father was innocent or guilty, but we're going to do everything in our power to find yeah. out whatever we can to try to help, which I really like. I do like that too. Um, the Klingon high commander, Kempek pulls Worf aside a little bit after this to ask him like, why have you laid down this challenge? Go back to the Enterprise. It wouldn't cost you anything to leave. The challenge will just be like with if you. It's kind of like not forgotten. showing up. It's like yeah. It's like not showing up to like the playground bully like taunting fight. It's like it's just going to be forgotten. Like, but of course, Worf can't let that go. He can't. He like, said his family would still be disgraced, and his father would be disgraced, and his name would be disgraced, and it's all about honor. And the the and Kim Peck is just like. Yeah, but you're not even on Klingon. You're not on a Klingon ship. It doesn't you're matter. You're on a planet. You are in the Federation. It won't affect you at all if people yeah. don't honor your father's name and your name. It won't affect yeah. you at all. And he's just like, it's about, it's the principle of the matter. <laughs> and you're like, that's yeah, what, 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 what else would you expect Worf, from Worf? That's what makes Worf endlessly better than all of these other idiots. Um, mm-hmm. Kern is walking down a corridor. That is really cool, by the way. Did you notice that like kind of circular corridor with like the mm-hmm. circular doors and like it's just really cool. It's kind of like red. that walk through Jeffrey's tube that yes, we saw that yes, one yes, time. Yes. It's probably that same set, but just looks cooler. Uh, it could be. Gosh, I don't know. I mean, I they redressed it a little bit because it doesn't look like the interior of a ship. But anyway, Duros, who's the asshole who tore the baldric off of Worf, confronts Kern in a corridor. And by the way, Duros is wearing what I might categorize as the most atrocious blackface I've ever seen mm-hmm. on an actor. It but is again, so bad. But again, it's only because of the high death. I'm certain of that. I'm sure that mm. if we were seeing it back in the 90s, it would have looked really good. But he slips Kern a note. Somebody slips Kern a note while Worf is talking to Kim Peck in the hallway. Mm-hmm. And he reads the note and he's like, got it. And he sneaks off and then he shows up in this cool hallway. And the note apparently was from Duras saying, hey, buddy, meet me back here. I've got something to say, wink, wink. So he goes back and he's just like, I know who you are. I know that you're the son of Moog. I know that you're brothers with Worf, but I won't tell anybody if you just kind of leave it alone and let him stand alone. Do not join with him. Do not be his chadich. And again, it's like, no, Kern's not going for that either. Yeah. (laughs) Those sons of Moog are not going, they cannot yeah, they're just not going with it. And it starts to really look so fishy because it's like, okay, so Kempek was already asking Worf mm-hmm. kind of as a favor to like take off. And now Duras is like, 
I warn you, don't look into this more, which any investigative journalist would be like, I'm going to look into it even harder now. (laughs) That's 100% what happens. And so Kern refuses to leave Worf to die alone. And Duras storms out, leaving Kern to be attacked and stabbed by some assassins. And by the way, Duras has the best storm outs. That oh my I did God. notice in this episode. His duster, I started calling him the stormy Klingon before I knew what his name was because mm-hmm. he would turn and like his duster would go like flapping in the wind. It looked so didn't, great. Didn't we all do that as kids, have a towel wrapped around like our neck and flap around thinking we were like Superman or something? You need a good <laughs> flap. He was very flappy. Yes. I'll he give, made, me, I'll want, give he made me want a duster. The way he would just be like, huh, and turn and it would just fly behind him. It was like, wow, that yeah. looks so cool. <laughs> I love that you're yeah. out it, just so I can see how cool the outfit is. <laughs> <laughs> So these assassins attack Kern and stab him. And we learn a little later, he does survive, but barely. And turns out that he was stabbed with this like special assassin's knife that like, where do you even go buy one of those? Like what section of Amazon are you buying the assassin knife? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because I feel like that would be fairly traceable. Maybe the same place where you buy the dusters. I don't know. (laughs) It's like a kit. <laughs> they just sell you the whole kit. It's a and they're really kit. shitty, like boot covers. You know, like Halloween costumes. You got to wear your regular <laughs> shoes on, but it kind of covers it. Anyway, so aboard the Enterprise, Riker, Jordy, and Data find that the logs pertaining to the Kittimer attack were covered up in some way, mm-hmm. and the Klingon High Council, with. yes, is clearly trying to cover some shit up. They're in cahoots. Mm-hmm. They are one hundred percent in cahoots. So Worf asks Picard to be his chadich, and Picard, knowing that. Kern very nearly died was like, isn't there anybody else who would be better at this? But I don't but think no, that he, it was from he, fear though. No, not at all. I think it's because all. he felt like, like what he said was there are younger, stronger men. If it's somebody yeah. who's going to be looking, watching your back and fighting with you. Yeah. Get Riker, get Riker or get somebody who's just like young and strong. And in the peak yeah. of youth, I'm a little bit aged for all this. And we're yeah. just like, there's no one I'd rather have by my side, which is very like, sweet in yeah. So Picard slips a book under his shirt, <laughs> protect him from stabbing. And then a knife and gets his, his duster boot, out, which yeah. he doesn't do. He should have, but he didn't do that. <laughs> and gets his duster out. He does show up in a, in a duster pretty he soon. Does. Or I guess he, like a robe. Some sort of sun. It wasn't as cool as uh, Worf's, no, which was sparkly, but whatever. So Beverly finds that there is one woman who was rescued from Kittimer along with Worf. Her name is Kaylest. And Riker finds her and basically in the middle of like court being in session, essentially in the high council, Picard goes to the old quarter to find her. And she is, I've never seen an old Klingon mm-hmm. woman and she looks amazing. Mm-hmm. She looks amazing. She's mm-hmm. wearing old lady robes. She's got the gray hair. Her voice is shaky. But when she does turn around, she's got the like exoskeleton spine that mm-hmm. all the Klingons have on their uniforms. And I was like, what a freaking phenomenal touch to add that to the robe because you don't see it from the front. It would be very disarming. It could be any races like mm-hmm. alien races robes, but until you turn around, you're like, ah, this is Klingon. It's so rad. Yes. And you don't see a lot of old Klingons. And they mentioned this later in the follow-up episode to this episode, um, that because a lot of Klingons, they're warriors and they die in battle. They usually don't live to become old. So you yeah. don't see a lot of gray haired Klingons ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's kind of in hiding. So she's been living yes. in this really bad neighborhood, um, for like all these years since Worf was discovered And she just wants nothing to do with it. And she's just kind of living in peace, which really is the same as living in shame, right? She doesn't Mm -hmm. want anybody to know that she's alive because she's kind of in hiding. And so she says, I died. I died all those years ago. So I can't help you because I'm a ghost. I mean, she's living, but not really. Yes, she is. She does end up saying that Moog was loyal and that he did suspect that someone was in cahoots with the Romulans and followed them to Kittimer, but she didn't know who the suspect was. Mm-hmm. she's like i know he was a good man i know he was loyal i can't tell you much more so picard is like all right i'm not gonna like harass you and upon leaving he's attacked by two assassins and somehow improbably ends up beating the shit out of one of them mm-hmm. and is cornered by another and when he's cornered kayla stabs him in the back kayla kayla so- throws a knife yeah and hits him in the back and it was so cool because I agree with you. Inexplicably, how is Picard getting any punches on any of these guys if no, Kern couldn't? These guys are like, like six five. Come on, and now. they're assassins. I, and yeah, I, I was like, if Kern couldn't take them both down, 
Picard's not doing anything to anybody. No. But somehow he manages to stab one in the gut. The other one just, you know, bear wrestles him and somehow can't just instantly break his arms or whatever. And then you just hear like a hook and you see his face change and he turns around slowly and you see this knife sticking out of his back and you're like, huh? And And then he falls down. Yes. And you see Kayla's hand outstretched from like many feet away. And you're like, oh my gosh, not because I thought she ran up behind him and stabbed him. She didn't even get close and she didn't even need to get close to kill him. I was like, she is the dopest nurse. Yeah, she's super old. She probably hasn't killed somebody in a long time. And she just walked out of her door and was like, "Uh uh-oh, trouble. And threw a knife and just killed the guy. And and then they both casually step over the bodies. And Picard's like, so you want to come with me to court? And she's like, okay. I was like, oh my gosh. So why did she suddenly change her mind? I don't, I don't, I guess because she, well, she said like, you are, a strong Tariq. Like, I didn't think that you would be. She said something to the effect of like, I'm surprised that you're as tough as you are, Picard. Yeah. But somehow she's like, all right, I guess I'll go to the high council now and give evidence. So I didn't see that coming. Yeah. And really, I mean, now the assassins know where she is and I don't know, maybe there wasn't much hiding, hiding much longer from them. I I guess so. But I think it was, she said something about him fighting with honor or fighting with the spirit of a Klingon or something. And that's really what made her be like, all right, you're not just some Federation lackey like you. Yeah. I, I respect you, so I'll come. And then Picard follows up with saying, you don't even have to give testimony. Just your presence alone might be enough to make people nervous and it'll shake the truth loose. So I mean, I certainly, be there. I certainly hope for Picard's sake that he was right because she already said everything she knew. She's like, Moog was loyal. He went to Kittimer to find out who it was, but we don't know who it was. Like, okay, great. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, <laughs> you have given us basically nothing. Yes, true. But like Picard was saying, when he and Worf realized that the council was in cahoots, that's why he mentioned like, just you being there, they don't know how much you know. Yeah. So, and they can, they think you died. So if all of a sudden a, an eyewitness comes forward, we don't even need to hear their testimony. That could be enough for them to be like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> yeah. And that's all exactly right. what happened. The jig is up. That's totally what did happen. So Picard rushes in with Kalast and it turns out that it's actually Duras who the high council is covering for. Duras's father was the one who transmitted the access codes to the Romulans. But, and this is such a fucking allegory for like the American political system. Duras's family is a powerful dynasty and it would have caused too much chaos to like wrest this very powerful family out of power and, and it could have caused civil war. It could have caused a civil war on government. Yep. It totally could have. And so they chose to blame Mo thinking that Worf was protected in Starfleet and would never challenge the honor of his father and really never find out because nobody was going to tell him. No, nope. <laughs> that his honor nope. had been dismissed. They were like, we just thought maybe you wouldn't ever hear about this and like, mm-hmm. just let it go. Question mark. So what the F you guys, this to <laughs> me was so allegorical for the political system we currently live under, which is just so twisted and so corrupt in so many different ways. And you've got these people out here preaching like equality and and sharing of power and we're all the same and we fight for honor and we fight for all these right things. But then, you know, all these dirty dealings are happening in back rooms. It's like, this is this to me, I was like, in 2021, I was like, well, where have I seen this before? <laughs> that's what it felt like. Yeah, that's true. But I will say people who take office and people who serve, I think for the most part are coming from a really good place. And I would say the same for anybody who does a job of service, including police officers, teachers, nurses, doctors, anything like that. People are coming from a place of wanting to serve most people. When you get in that position, though, you are in power over other people. And then if you have kind of like a really dark streak or some, you know, some psychopathy, once you get in that place of power, it just magnifies that. So even if you've got 10 or a hundred or a thousand people who are doing great work and you have one person who's like a total psycho and they've got all Mm -hmm. this power, then you have Hitler, right? It's like, you, you, it's like not that, that the whole system is so corrupt because every single person is this twisted, horrible monster. I don't think that, but I do think it only takes a few people to throw a monkey wrench in the system. And that's exactly what we're seeing in this episode that the whole high command was all up in a tizzy because it was Duras. It was the one person, the one person who put them all in this position to be like, crap, 
we, we can't challenge this person. So now we have to throw this other person under the bus and hope that the sun never finds out and hope that people don't find out that we're lying to everybody. Like now it becomes this whole thing because they yeah, don't want to go to war and mess. destroy the government. But it was like that one like linchpin person because of their power. And because he was kind of a skeevy dude, clearly yeah. his power caused him to amplify that corruption because he was the one talking the most trash about war and about his family and about his father being a traitor. He was the one bringing the accusation and he was yep. the one smacking him in front of everybody. And he was the one who was responsible the whole time. Yeah. He's the one. If we're going with the sons pay for their father's crime, he's the one that's totally responsible and he knows it. And he knows it. This dude is just an all around piece of shit. And the high council would not be torn apart for like Moog's crimes, but it would be torn apart for Duras's father's crime. And Picard, yay, Picard, this was the time to get like high, high horse Picard and gives this <laughs> impassioned speech about the Klingons and their honor. And he's right. He's like you and your honor. And honestly, if the Klingon high council would be torn apart by that, then I guess it just needs to be torn apart and a new one put in place. That's what I, I'm very black and white about certain things. I'm like, if you cannot protect the integrity of your governing unit because of some major corruption, then by definition, you should not be in power. And like other people need to be in power. So Picard gives this whole speech. And when Kempek threatens the alliance between the Klingons and the Federation, Picard counters that like the alliance stands on honesty. And when the Federation finds out like why the alliance was destroyed, like they will stand by the truth, which is pretty idealistic. False, I got to say, which is false because that, <laughs> yeah, we've that's seen, pretty, that's we, pretty we idealistic saw last week with uh, Admiral Haftel, like the Federation is full of people who are just as jacked up as yep. in the Klingon high council. There's no yep. <laughs> special snowflake situation happening with Starfleet. They have no. a lot of mess people who are messed up and corruption and all kinds of stuff. Picard himself is very honorable and honest. And there are other people like him, I'm sure, but we see him put in a lot of sticky situations because mm-hmm. people over him are just like, who cares? Just get it done, Picard, you know? Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, no, they would, he would go down in history as like the worst captain in the world if he restarted this war that, yeah. yeah, yeah so even for altruistic reasons, yeah, it would have been like, so you did what now? <laughs> yeah. But, um, but I had a good reason. They were making my friend feel, no. Like, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> They hurt my friend's feelings and then they wanted to kill False. him. So you started a war between two, whole, like, no, but yeah. anyways, that's what Picard said. And I mean, Kim Pack didn't know for sure. If that was true, like he doesn't yeah. know about this, about yeah. Starfleet. It was a little, like it was a little poker. Mm-hmm. So Worf decides to do something. He said that will serve the Klingon empire far greater than his death. He offers to take discommendation, which is essentially exile mm-hmm. in order to protect Kern's true bloodlines and the Klingon empire. He doesn't give a fuck about Duras, but now that the cat is out of the bag about Kern being Worf's brother, Kern would also be put to death and be made to pay for Moog's transgressions. Mm -hmm. So Worf says, I will take the discommendation. And then that slimy asshole, as long as, as long as Kern is allowed to like live and he's protected. Yeah. So that slimy asshole Kempek was like, "Mm, this might do or whatever it was he said where he's like this would be better so finally they kind of come to these terms where it's like i will take the discommendation you can all turn your back on me the truth of the matter will not go outside of this room duras stays where he is his family stays where they are but kern gets to like go back to his ship and like no one is the wiser they're like, all right, fine. And on his way out, Worf backhands Duras for being the son of a traitor and all around scumbag. So I was like, mm-hmm. that at least felt like a little bit delicious. So I was like, you had that coming. He did. And then in that scene, when he backhanded him, um, the camera kind of goes over to Kim Peck and Kim Peck's nodding his head in approval. Like, yeah, smack him again, Worf. You know, just like, <laughs> and, and Duras just looks down at his feet. Right. And you're like, yeah. And it's actually what you pointed out before. Yeah. I guess you're the son of a traitor. You just take the backhand and you just look down because you are guilty and all that you are shamed. Yeah. Yeah. All that pride just kind of dissolves from his face, which it did feel nice. And it's nice that Worf was not going to die. And it's nice that Kern was not going to die or that the secret was going to be let out. So it's kind of like, okay. It was sort of the the most win-win you could get out of this. So mm-hmm. Kern doesn't want Worf to take the discommendation, but Picard tells Kern very, very wisely, 
There will be another day to fight for this. Live now and fight another day. So everyone in the council chamber turns their back to Worf and Kern doesn't want to do it, but Worf tells him he must. Mm-hmm. And that was so sad when he finally crossed his arms and turned his back. I was like, oh, it was just so hard to watch. And then the episode ends when Worf and Picard just silently walk out of the chamber. And it is assumed that that's the end of it. And he goes back to the Enterprise and and Kern lives. And it sets up a beautiful platform to jump off again and again and again with this Moog betrayal episode because now mm-hmm. we know now we know the truth although the rest of the Klingons don't know we know that Worf is not dishonored mm-hmm. and that's where the episode ends I just oh my god I felt like this would have been a really phenomenal two-parter where that would have been the end of like episode one mm-hmm. but then it comes back with some whatever but I guess it does kind of open that up so like they can explore it other places they do they bring it back in a lot of interesting ways and it's actually you're right i would have expected this to be a two-parter because that's usually how they do it on the show but yeah probably when they wrote this they weren't anticipating doing follow-up storylines to it they didn't plan on it being an arc but it Mm -hmm. turns into an arc and they have lots of different episodes where they touch back on it where klingons will be aboard the ship and they refuse to talk to Worf because he doesn't exist and so, you know, in their culture anymore, and then it causes tension or, yeah. you know, go, going back to Kittimer and finding out what really happened there. Like it just, it sets up a nice, um, like you said, jumping off point to give us a, a lot more stories coming down the road that are really interesting. So mm-hmm. it, it's a nice, I thought it was a really nice ending. You're just kind of like, oh, it's over. Oh, they lost, oh, wow. you know? Yeah. It was, just, it was good. Yeah. It was really good. Do you have any final thoughts on this episode before we wrap up? Yeah, I do. Um, And it's something we mentioned before at the very beginning is I feel like this episode was really, really good because it showed how Klingons are more three-dimensional and it really, Mm -hmm. really showed their appreciation of honor in more facets. It wasn't just Mm -hmm. like the honor, the glory, but like it literally showed what honor looks like. It looks like Kern finding Worf and saying, you're my older brother, so I'm going to honor you by you allowing you to take the challenge. And, you know, you would honor me if I can be your second. Right. Yes. And it's Worf saying, I'm going to honor my father by challenging this, this um, accusation. And it's about Worf honoring the Klingons by saying, I'm going to take the rap for this, even though I know I'm not guilty because I want my culture to survive. I don't want to plunge the entire um, I don't want to plunge all of the Klingons into civil war because mm-hmm. the Klingon empire is actually made up of a, a bunch of houses. Like mm-hmm. that's how it's run. And so if any one house splinters from the other houses, it just becomes a huge mess. Yeah. So, you know, I think this was really about honor and then showing the high council that did not have honor and that was not valuing honor. And Duras, who was just like a lying little scumbag, um, it just really highlighted. Yeah. It just really highlighted honor or lack thereof amongst the Klingons. And I really appreciated that. What about you? Yeah. Um, well, I just thought, oh my God, this was such a great episode. Um, It really gave me a better appreciation for the Klingon episodes. But again, as I said before, I don't love the Klingon episodes that just talk about Klingon cultures and value because I don't find that particularly interesting. But the backstory and the depth and there have always been shades of kind of like shame that Worf is seemingly the only Klingon in the universe who has left Klingon to serve aboard a different vessel and, a di- you know, to serve with a different race of people. And everybody sort of like derides him for that. Mm-hmm. And as we see more and more throughout the series, the word spreads that Worf's father is a traitor. So when other Klingons show up aboard the Enterprise or interact with the Enterprise in any way later on, they're like, we don't even want to be in the same room as him. And you just mm-hmm. know how fucking unfair that is. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. he didn't even deserve it. Oh, like it's one of those wonderful pieces of writing where the audience is in on the information that other characters are not in on. Mm-hmm. And you just are so rooting for Worf. Um, and so it really, really makes, it made me enjoy this so much. And this being like practically a new episode for me, or maybe a completely new episode was really enjoyable. I, I, I loved, I loved watching it. I, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I did not expect the ending that we got. I really did not. Mm, What did you think was going to happen at the end? I'm so curious. Or what did you hope would happen? I had hoped that maybe they would just be like, no, he didn't, 
you know, betray his people on Kittimer. And the Enterprise has found this like secret log to show that he didn't. So he's exonerated. I didn't think that it'd be like, oh, it was Duras's father and the High Council knew about it and they were covering up for it and they were trying to get Worf to go away. It's like there were so many different betrayals on so many levels. Mm-hmm. I was just like, oof, uh, uh, uh. like the whole time watching it was like another wound, another wound. It, it was really brutal. Really mm. brutal, but great writing. Love seeing Picard and company like step up to like aid Worf. That uh, I don't all around. It was a great episode. I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, and it also reminds me of when um, Michael Doran joined Clubhouse, who's the actor who plays Worf. Mm. And you pointed out that his handle is Son of Moog. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which I just thought was so great. Yes, yes. I so on Clubhouse it has your name, your first and last name, and then you can have an a handle. Yes. And his was Michael Dorn at son of Moog. <laughs> so like, great. So oh. great. <laughs> <laughs> she, she, she told Andrea told me that and I was just like, Oh my gosh, I love this. Right. <laughs> that is a title right there. That was really, really cool. That was not a nice little Easter egg. All right. Next week we are talking season three, episode 18 allegiance. Thank you guys so much for hanging with us. And we look forward to seeing you next week. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.